Welcome to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, your podcast to learn all about the benefits and challenges of being bendy. This is co-host Jennifer Milner here today with Dr. Linda Bluestein. Before we introduce our incredibly special guest, a couple of quick reminders. Please subscribe and leave a review. This really helps get the word out because this podcast is for you. Today, we have the great pleasure of speaking with Marielena Ruiz. Marielena began her studies in Caracas, Venezuela, where she was trained by prima ballerina Nina Novak. At age 14, Marielena became the youngest member of the Ballet Nacional de Caracas, and soon after, she won third place junior division at the Jackson USA International Ballet Competition, receiving a full scholarship to continue her studies at the School of American Ballet in New York. She won the Best Couple Award in third place senior division at the Varna International Ballet Competition and also won at the Prix Volanin in Paris. As a professional, Marielena performed principal roles for many companies in the U.S. and Europe. And between 2000 and 2006, Marielena danced in all Balanchine repertoire in the Suzanne Farrell Ballet. In 2000, she began teaching part-time at the Rock School for Dance Education and became full-time ballet master at the Rock School in 2006. In 2015, she started building and directing her new professional training program at Cary Ballet Conservatory, where she continues to coach and train the next generation of outstanding dancers and has been featured on the cover of Dance Teacher magazine. Marielena has been a judge and guest teacher for the Youth America Grand Prix and Dance America competition in Argentina, and has also worked with the New York International Ballet Competition. She was featured in the award-winning documentary, First Position. She has coached medalists for major competitions, including Moscow IBC, Jackson USA IBC, Boston IBC, Prix de Lausanne, Youth America Grand Prix, and American Dance Competition. Her former students are dancing professional all over the world in companies and on Broadway. Marielena is now looking forward to even greater success as a teacher and a coach. She's been named the Outstanding Teacher at ADC IBC, and most recently was the 2019 YAGP New York City Finals Outstanding Teacher. Marielena, hello, and welcome to Bendy Bodies. Thank you, I am so excited to be talking to both of you and thank you for this opportunity. Absolutely, we are excited to have you here, right Linda? Absolutely, I'm so, <laughs> so excited, so happy to get to meet you. <laughs> yes, we, we have so much we wanna to talk to you about, so let's just kind of jump into it. Um, if we could start with your training. So you grew up studying under prima ballerina Nina Novak and then danced for the Ballet Nacional de Caracas and then went to the School of American Ballet. So before you were even an adult, you had studied Vaganova, Cuban, and Balanchine methods. So how did that shape you as an artist? I, back then, I didn't know. It was kind of like evolving, you know, but um, it, I, was, I was incredibly lucky. Um, I had the strength of the Vaganova training very mm -hmm. early on, the discipline that comes with that as well. And um, the speed and the dynamics of Balanchine training, that was yes. uh, incredibly uh, necessary for me as well. Um, and then my Cuban teacher that after I came back from SAB, and actually if we jump forward years and years after that, um, Magali Suarez, she's the one after a really bad injury that kind of put me together again. So um, 
yeah, I was incredibly, incredibly lucky. And I've been trying and um, to keep the best of all those techniques in the mm-hmm. way I teach. And I think it, it made me a better dancer and also a better teacher. It's interesting you say that because on one hand, you can look at how it shapes you as an artist, right? And how this technique gave you this and this technique gave you that and you can pull it all together and and be a more well-rounded artist, but it's completely different in how it shapes you as a teacher. So speak a little bit more about that. Well, um, I would add to my Vaganova, Cuban and American Mm -hmm. training, I would add injuries and physical therapy. You know, Mm. I was very lucky that I didn't have many, but the two that I had were major. So um, I became very interested in alignment because one of them was, I had kind of a reconstructed big toe. Um, It was an infection that went bad and went into the bone and then they had to reconstruct my toe. And I was already at the end of my career. so I spend a year in physical therapy, learning to walk again, alignment. I spent a year in a pool. I became you know, a prune because if they told me go to a, a pool twice a week, I would go, you know, the dancer's mentality. You know, I would go five mm-hmm. times and, and all of that. Um, so I became very interested in how to do things right because mm. I had very little time. I was already in my 30s. And I had already little time to recover and do it right. And that's also when I went to Magali and she retrained me again that year. So mm-hmm. I would be, um, I would say that a combination of all those things, um, I became more interested in technique. I became more interested in how, how to apply the best things of all those techniques and the strength I had known all along because I had done it as a dancer. Like if we, you know, in Cleveland Valley, we had people from the balancing trust come and set theme variations. I would immediately check my balancing training, you know, with Suzanne Farrell, it was a turning your brain immediately into balancing training, but keeping the strength of the Vaganova and the Cuban training. So I've been able to mix all of that. What the injuries did for me that was not, that I was not aware, um, was paying so much attention of doing things correctly and slowly. Even if it was 10 repetitions, but they they were doing, they were done right. Um, And of course, you know, when when you do three pirouettes and when you stay in a balance and all of that is great, but when you are oh my God, I can bend my foot again so that I can walk correctly or that I can walk. <laughs> it is a whole different, it is a whole different spectrum. Uh, and of course the doctors are telling you, you know, you're going to be lucky if you can walk again and all of that. I was like, no, I'm sorry. You know, I have done you with the National Ballet of Canada in a year. That's not going to happen <laughs> in my career. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. So you, you kind of like, I became very, very aware of, physical therapy and of cross training, which mm-hmm. I had done throughout my, my whole career, but it became, I became much more aware of it and interested mm. in it. Mm. Well, and it's interesting you say that because I always say when I go teach a workshop at any studio or company, I say the only people who sign up for an, an injury prevention class are people who have already been injured. Yes. <laughs> because exactly. until that happens, people are like, I don't need to take that. That's fine. I'm fine. But then once you've had that first injury, 
you realize, oh, this matters. I need to cross train. I need to look at my technique. I need to look at that alignment. I need to address it in a different way. Whether you're doing balancing arms or chiquetti arms, there are still some fundamental biomechanical issues that have to happen. Absolutely. So that's great. And I love that you learned that kind of, I mean, it's painful that it happens, you know, at the expense of an injury, but you learned it kind of early on in your career, at least as far as your teaching career. So that already started to shape who you were going to be as a teacher, which is fantastic. Um, now you also are hypermobile, right? And have yeah. your own bendy body issues <laughs> to go along with it. So um, science's kind of understanding of hypermobility has changed a lot in the past 10 years. And we've come a really long way in understanding it and learning how to kind of work with it. So when you were training, were there teachers who helped you figure that out, how to use it and how to control it? Or was that just sort of up to you? I didn't realize, and I, I, they focused on um, strength and technique a lot. They didn't mm -hmm. focus on my hypermobility like mm -hmm. it wasn't about let's show the extension and stay there for 15 seconds or anything like that they were very concerned about getting me stronger and if i go back also i was the youngest and the tallest you know um and the most bendy you know so i would see my peers in the same class already doing fuetes already doing you know with stronger muscles Two to three years in about, when you have an 11 year old and a 14 year old, it's a very different situation mm -hmm. or 12 mm -hmm. to 15. So I became, I was part of that group because I was talented and they were pushing me forward, but I couldn't do some of the stuff strength wise that they could do. Of right. course, hit a line and, and have beautiful shapes and stuff like that, that they couldn't do as well but i i didn't have the strength i didn't know where my my center was and all of that so i they did not what i have to say is that they didn't focus on my bendiness they focused mm -hmm. on you need to get stronger and at mm -hmm. the time was you know relevates repetition and all of that you know it, it was vaganova we mm -hmm. had you know the, the same class in the afternoon we knew the class so you could really work on strengthening and all of that um classical repertoire i was i was uh, introduced to classical repertoire very early on and i think that's what shaped me too because people say that i that i can see variations or things that kids can do that are going to look that are going to look really good on them but i think it comes from my training my teacher knew exactly you know what variation at what age what comes next and all of that and mm. I, she had a very good progression of all of that mm -hmm. of course when you're that that age, I'm like, why am I doing Bluebird? Why am I doing? <laughs> why am I not doing the right yet? You know, but you right. you realize when you look back. I understand her. She was she was um, she was building you up, and mm -hmm. I think a lot of the answers are in the classical repertoire and how you break it down. You know, because you you just have somebody do a variation, but you're not breaking the step. And where does that step come from in class? Mm -hmm. You know, you're not doing anything. So I I would say that. And I would thank my early training that they never focused on my, my bendiness. Um, I didn't realize that I needed more cross training and more strength until I went to SAB because mm -hmm. I had long fourths to deal with. Mm -hmm. I had bat, bat twos to deal with. Mm -hmm. I had speed and accents in. I do a lot of accents in now just mm -hmm. so that we can, we can connect more. Sometimes I have to like remind my team, you know, my other teachers to, to like remind me that 
it's not accent in all the time. <laughs> um, so, you know, I became, I began uh, Pilates and gyrotonics when I went to SAB. And that was also, that's when I found my core, you know, it's because I, the speed is what got me. I was like, mm-hmm. I, and I, I would see, you know, people, Diana White and people, you know, Wendy Whalen and all these people in New York City Ballet dancing with that speed. They had long legs. They had, mm-hmm. you know, in a balancing company, that's not an, an option. Being tall, right. not moving fast. Right. So, um, but for me, it was very difficult that the long forts coming from a hyperextension mm-hmm. and from mm-hmm. my hyperextended legs, from a long being forth with the back leg straight and pulling in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I needed a lot. I needed more strength for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I, when I, when I became more into cross training, but I do have to say, I didn't, I wasn't, my teachers were not into, you know, overstretching me or anything like that. It was just the normal. Of course, they would see that it would go beyond what other people could do, but it wasn't, it wasn't about that. And I think I was lucky about that. Mm-hmm. That your teachers worked kind of slowly and patiently they, they within your own framework. They focused on strength. Mm-hmm. They didn't focus on the, you know, on, 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 the, on the flexibility so much. They focused mm-hmm. actually less flexibility and more strength. Mm-hmm. Which is... We had an earlier interview with Beck Ann, one of your former students, Beck Ann Sisk, and she said the same thing. She said that even with all her flexibility, I knew our listeners would want to know, how does she get more flexible? And she said she doesn't. She works on the strength to hold that flexibility. And so thank you for reinforcing that <laughs> as well. It was, well. Great to hear that. it was great to hear that from her because it, she had been... And at the time that I got her, it, she was so hypermobile. She like her legs mm-hmm. were away from her. And I was just like, mm-hmm. Again, you, we need to focus on your strength, lower your legs. I never, we never did anything above 90 until we got to adagio or stretching, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be there. It's not going to go away because it's not like you're not stretching. You're going to do your stretching, your normal stretching. Mm-hmm. We never sat her on an over split. We never went over things. Um, of course, there, there was choreography created on her, not by me, <laughs> that showed all that, you know. Right. But it wasn't like grab your leg, stay for 30 seconds and wait for people to clap. It was, mm-hmm. it was part of the artistry. It was part of mm-hmm. showing how incredible her body was, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, training her was, yeah, taught me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I learned a lot about myself and, and I understood my teachers a lot and I knew I had a diamond in the raw and I was mm-hmm. like, I gotta do th- I gotta do this right. You have to do it right. That's exactly yeah. right. And mm-hmm. going back to something you said earlier about uh, the importance of picking the right variation at the right time, um, I think a lot of days, a lot of times these days we feel that pressure to let the 10 year old do white swan or whatever, you know, whatever they think is going to bring them joy and let them show off their flashiness and all of that. And it's so important to have a long-term plan for a student and not just think what's going to get me the highest numbers in this competition or the highest amount of scholarship this year, what's going to keep them dancing and what's going to bring them to fruition to all they can be, you know, five years from now or whatever. So I love that you have that structure and that thought behind your head. Let's do this one and then this one. And it's about the work and bringing you up slowly. Um, Do you see a difference? You know, one of the things that's hard for teachers um, is when you see someone who is advanced as, as a dancer, 
like you were, you want to move them up and help move them faster. But at the same time, you have to hold them back um, until they have that strength, like you talked about. So do you see some of that tension in classes with, well, she's so good, I want to promote her, but also I want to give her a little more time to grow into her body and give her that strength? That's a great question because, and people listening to, the, to, to this that, that work with me and parents and teachers that I've had meetings with um, and students, they'll know exactly because I have, a, I have a say, you know, an arrow when you pull it back, where's mm -hmm. it, it going to go? How far are you going to pull it back so that it can go where? Mm -hmm. So I'm pulling you back slowly so that I can propel you forward so that you're going to have all the basics and all the strength to actually move forward quickly. I said that the sooner we get this basic stuff, and this is with my lower levels, because sometimes they look at me like, we're going to do relevant slow again. I was like, the sooner we get that alignment, the freer you're going to be. So that, you know, that, that, is, that is very important. And, you know, I think it comes with trust also with your teacher and with your coach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I try to convey that I have your best interest at heart. I am not perfect. I have not done things perfect, but I've done this for a long time <laughs> and I've done it um, and I've done it with some success. I, I don't expect you to be my first mistake, you know, my, my mistake. But if, if we realize that we've made a mistake, we'll fix it along the way and, 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 and we'll move, move forward. But mm -hmm. um, I think communication is very important. And I think coming from the right place and the right experience you know, I, mm -hmm. I know that slowing you down and doing, breaking things down is going to make you better. Mm -hmm. um, so that is my philosophy. And if you accept that and if you give me the time, because the other thing is that they want things yesterday. And I, 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 right. do. I do too. But um, all you have is the work that you can do today and in this minute. And, and um, communication and trust and, and, and giving the coach the time. And the teacher mm -hmm. the time, even yourself mm -hmm. the time. Right, right. Um, and I do see a difference between um, a dancer that's not hypermobile and a dancer who is hypermobile. In general, the hypermobile dancers just take longer. Um, and I think it was Lisa Howell. Is it right, Linda? Um, we interviewed Lisa Howell, and she talked about how when she has a hypermobile dancer, she'll pull her aside and say, listen, you may go on point later than others. Like I may keep you off point longer. Um, I may try to keep you in a lower level longer. I want to give you time to get control of your body and to get you stronger so that when you are ready to do those things, you just like take off. So it's probably the same concept as the arrow, you know, um, giving, giving the, those bendy, crazy bodies a chance to... <laughs> And then once they get, it, to get strong. they're going to be bendy their whole lives. But then once they right. get it, um, it's, it's fabulous. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's so beautiful to watch, but you, you're going to have to work at it the rest of your life though, because it's mm -hmm. going to be the same bendy body. It's just going to get stronger, you know, um, but you're going to have the tools. The important thing yes. is that you have the tools, you know? Yes, you will. And you were um, starting to teach uh, even while you were still performing, um, do you feel like the fact that you were performing and dealing with injuries and teaching all at the same time kind of made you a better teacher because you were still dealing with those things yourself? I, I divide my teaching career. I started teaching because the contract we had with the Kennedy Center was not full-time. So I needed something to do while the 
while the company was off and, and, and making money and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I had to move to Philadelphia and, you know, they, they gave me some part-time work at the rock school and I'm so grateful for that. Um, but I am a firm believer that you have to be done with dancing to become a good teacher. And that's mm. my experience. Interesting. It's Can you explain why? It's because it's not about you anymore or, mm. or, you have to be able to leave your dancing shoes outside the door when you come into the studio to teach. It's not about how beautiful you do things and how my pirouettes look. It's about how your pirouettes are going to look and how I'm going to help you, how I'm going to help the student. So I, I was still in dancing mentality. Uh, and then the injury happened. Mm. Um, and then that's when I divide. That's when I... I say, I said it in the other podcast, I said, teaching found me. I was also going through a very difficult uh, personal time. Um, mm-hmm. And the injury and the personal situation happened at the same time. Everything comes together, right? <laughs> um, right. And I, teaching found me. I mean, I, I was in the studio trying things for the, for the students. I had just, you know, they had just promoted me um, to full time and, I became like obsessed in, in getting better uh, at, what, at what I was doing. And then the injury also helped me because I knew that I wanted to get better. And I had this very small window of opportunity to, to dance for that last year because I knew it, was, it would probably be done. I wasn't, after that surgery, I wouldn't be able to keep up with eight hours a day of, of you know, or somebody creating a ballet on you or anything like that. So right. I wanted, I wanted to, to do it well. And um, I became very interested in how to help other people do it well. Oh, I love that. And sometimes teachers aren't quite finished with their own career. And, and you can see that in the classroom sometimes, especially with the, you know, some of the high profile guest teachers that my dancers might walk out from a master class feeling almost worse about themselves just because they're comparing themselves to the teacher that's there and doing these beautiful demonstrations and thinking, Oh, I'm never, you know, nothing wrong with that. I just, right. if you're going to be a coach and if you're going to take somebody's career from A to Z, mm-hmm. it takes a different type of relationship and it takes a different type of the, the coach you have and the teacher you have has to be on about the dancer, you know, right. I mean, I can still show certain things and my feet are going to point and stuff like that, but it's not about that. It just has to be the, the, the teaching and the dancer and the student has to be your focus. Mm-hmm. There has to be that emotional investment in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So now that you are teaching um, dancers full time, you've transitioned into that. You said that you had started finding cross training and um, and sort of working on proper technique while you were injured. So, do you find in general um, ballet classes sufficient for dancers, or do you encourage cross training? Do you try to add conditioning exercises to your class? Um, how do you help them figure out how to manage their bodies and be strong? I know that you know there are certain techniques and and certain schools that say cross training is not allowed. I I I. I believe in it because I practiced it and it mm-hmm. became something that helped me tremendously. And I've seen it in other people. Um, so yes, my program has conditioning uh, for men and conditioning for girls once a week. 
Uh, we brought progressive ballet technique. We have Pilates. Um, we brought gyrotonics also. Um, and, you know, even though we don't have a gym in our facility, I tell, you know, the guys and the girls that it's important for them to get the, their cardio up. We had a trainer that came and, you know, they had, he had them running around this, the facility, which is really, it's really big. And the, and the, and the weather is, it was nice still. So, you know, the cardio is very important. Um, you know, ballet still, I approach, my approach is that I don't stop between sides. I mean, you hear my mm -hmm. corrections as you go. Um, I have two groups in center and a stage right and a stage left. Everybody's going to laugh that it's listening to this because they've known this for 20 years. Stage, if I change groups and I change lines, but if stage right is going, stage left is in a position. They're not stretching or anything like that. So you're always, because it's important to, even if you're going to be in the core ballet for 30 minutes and changing, you have, you have to have the endurance to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think the only thing with ballet is that you break out of it very quickly and then you're required to do a pas or, a, or a, something that it's 15 minutes long. It's true. So you have to kind of integrate the class, make, make the class, you know, so that you continue that aerobic work and mm -hmm. include cross training. Um, you know, I know running, it's sometimes for dancers, it's, you know, on their joints, it's hard on their joints, but there's biking, you know, there's stationary bike and there is elliptical and things that you can do even with your own weight that you can do to, um, to keep your, your stamina. I, I, I just, I don't think it's going to come out of nowhere that you can just do a 15 minute ballet if, if you don't cross train. I just, right. you know, it's just not going to come just from one ballet class a, a day. It's just not going to Right. Happen. Right. Well, and I always tell my dancers, listen, that, you know, one minute and 27 second petite allegro combination is not going to get you ready for snow. Snow's 11 minutes long. Exactly. <laughs> you have to do something else. So you've been teaching for about um, 10 years now, part-time and full-time. Have you seen um, common problems and weaknesses with hypermobile dancers in general, other than that they're a little bit slower starter and they have to get control of their strength sooner? What have you observed with them? Well, it's like, it's like my eye goes immediately to like that one, you know, <laughs> um, the hypermobile. I can, I can, I can, you know, it's like my nose goes. Mm -hmm. um, the, the reality is that, you know, with hypermobile dancers, if you catch the things with our schools now um, that, you know, especially in America or, you know, that you don't, you get a dancer either that came from another school or that came through a recreational level. And then they didn't know that they were going to be, it was going to become something. Right. It wasn't that, you know, the boss went like in Cuba and picked the one with the perfect ears, the perfect, this, the perfect femur, the perfect, you know, and then it, you know, they have the first perfect physicality. And even if they're hypermobile, they work with them since they're, they're younger and stuff like that. I, you know, we are lucky. I mean, like with Bekan, she came through the school and then, you know, we, we were lucky to train her. I've, I've had other um, hypermobile dancers and we have some now in our program too that are coming up and I call them the noodle number two because I haven't. <laughs> Bekan was noodle number one. Right. And, um, I, I think we've all gotten 
and, and, and our te- my teachers, our teachers here too, um, we've gotten aware of, you know, um, they're very, very good about, you know, realizing that we have a hypermobile dancer and how we're going to approach it. And I think mm. we have the same, um, the same thoughts and the same mentality and, and talk to each other as a mm. team, how we're going to approach this dancer. And we're all on the same page about slowing it down and, and, and bringing them forward a little bit slower. We talk to the dancer, we talk to the, to the parents because they feel frustrated. You know, they, they're like, we have this beautiful body. And you know, now with Instagram and everything, of course they hit amazing positions. I mean, you look at those feet and those legs and those lines, but it's like, how do you get from A to B? How did you get up there? You know, it's like, right. discombobulated. but you hit the beautiful picture. Um, so yeah, we, we are um, very aware of, of, of them very early on as, as, as early as we can be some of them that haven't come through the school, you know, we get from somewhere else and, and sometimes come with really bad habits. And that's, I don't know, you, you guys will agree with me. I don't know what's worse. I think it's better to bring a dancer up than get when you get it already with the bad habits, mm-hmm. creating a blank, you know, a white canvas again, oh, yeah. they get yeah. very frustrated. You know, especially if it's an age that, you know, they, they, they want to get the wow effect. They want to mm-hmm. get the, you know, and, and they feel that that's what they, they're good at. So you're taking mm-hmm. away something that I'm actually mm-hmm. good at. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we, we, we just approach them and be like, listen, we, we've got to fix this because also you've got to walk when you're 50. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Thank you. you. Know? Thank you for that. Yes. <laughs> oh, like, and, 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 you know, Cirque du Soleil and gymnastics and all of that. But remember that they don't, gymnastics, if I'm correct, that they, they don't get past 21 or 22. Right. You know, it's a much shorter career. Ballet is an art form that it's, it's, it's longer, that you have to have longevity. And, mm-hmm. and it's important that you, that you stay healthy and that you stay, you know, able to to have a normal life you know yeah absolutely yeah. i totally agree yeah def- definitely we, we all want to move as long as as long as possible as well as possible but, but i think we don't always think of those things when we're younger so i'm really glad that you stress that with your students that's really fantastic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what trends have you observed over the over the years in terms of hypermobility, injuries, and career longevity? Um, you've, you've obviously been dancing for a long time and teaching for a long time. Have you observed any particular changes over that period of time? Yeah, I think it's been like maybe f- that I'm aware of maybe five, eight years ago. Um, you know, it it become it's become. I, I, there, there's two sides, you know, b- dance has become much more popular on TV with all these shows right. and stuff like that, which is amazing that it's, it, it's in everybody's living room or computer or that we have access to that. And, you know, people think I want to do that. But the thing is, I want to do that comes with a whole amount of training and a whole amount of hours and a whole amount of years. Um, so, but there are a lot of people that have become interested in dance sometimes they become interested because of the overextensions and the and the wow effect and all of mm-hmm. that and and there's been something positive about that but i think it can be deceiving in a way um i just 
I just hope that, you know, what, and, and, and from what I've seen in the, in the last years, it, it's, it should be just part of the movement. It should not be about that, you know, about how long you're going to hold your leg and how long you're going to stretch. And, and um, it's, it's tough because it becomes very circus-like. And um, I would love I would love it to to stay as as part of the art form. Like it's it's mm. an artistic movement, not you know not not about that. And and that's what I've seen. It's become a little bit about that. Yeah. And the kids think the kids think that that's the you know that's what they see and and the Instagram and all of that and and they want to be that. So mm. I think our job is to guide them you know, that that's fine and, and, and it has a place. But if this is the art form that you choose, then there's other ways. Definitely. And have you seen that impact injuries amongst your dancers? Yeah. I mean, you see, I mean, you see Bekan. She's been very lucky because she built strength since mm-hmm. she was very young. And we had her very young. Right. And then she kept all those things as, as she moved in her career. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've seen hip injuries. I've seen back injuries. Um, in our program, we've been very lucky. They have overuse injuries, you know, that, that mm-hmm. because right. sometimes you come from a program that you did three times a week and then you come into eight hours or six hours a day. We try to build them up, but still it needs, it needs some adapting. Um, I will say I've seen people that have been trained with overstretching and have come to us after uh, yeah they're they have some difficulties and some injuries sure yeah. sure and and speaking of overstretching and you know other kids that are coming to you from other programs what advice do you give to other teachers who are um working with hypermobile dancers focus on strength focus on strength focus on technique focus on quality not quantity focus mm-hmm. on building their base strong so that then they can have something to go from to build a beautiful, you know, I say a white canvas so that you, you can have a Picasso. You can't start a Picasso from already a painted Picasso. You have to have a white canvas. So you've got to give them that um, and, and be okay to slow things down. I think it's, it's just not popular. It, it just, you become as a teacher pressured you know, and you have this, well, but I have this flexibility and this teacher, this other teacher is going to use it because this solo they're going to do for me, it's going to showcase that. So I'm going to go there. So that's the issue. You know, you Mm -hmm. lose, sometimes you, you're, you're afraid of, people are afraid of losing students and they give in. And then, you know, I think follow, follow, follow your instinct and follow your guidelines of what you know works and, and educate yourself and, talk to people like you, talk to other teachers and dancers, you know, that have had those issues and, and, and go from there and, and don't give in to the pressure. Yeah. I I think that's important. Yes, definitely. And what about um, healthcare professionals like myself who, and like uh, Jennifer who work with dancers? um, What, what can we do? How can we work best with dance teachers to help the dancer optimize their career longevity? What can we do? I think, I think it's very important. I mean, like what you're doing right now. Um, I think, you know, webinars and classes and communication with teachers. 
Um, I think it's important sometimes there's been a couple of trends, right? Because, you know, with physical therapy and, and with doctors and stuff like that, and we are all the teachers, I mean, myself, we're all about slowing things down. I have found, this is my experience, that dancers sometimes become very, we have to know, we have to teach the dancers and the parents the difference between an injury and soreness. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and this is, I don't want to be like, I'm old fashioned. You have to hang on to pain and stuff like that. Of course, pain, it's telling you something. But of course, if you went for, I, I use the run analogy because, you know, I run. And if you went for a long run and it's your first long run after, you know, of, of your training, you're going to be sore, you know. So you, you make sure that all those muscles are strong enough, but it's things that you haven't done before. So I think it's important for physical therapists and, and doctors and that be on the same page with the dancer. Okay, what have you done? What is different? You know, um, because it, sometimes it's, it's confusing for, to, to teachers as well. Like, okay, I can't train you if you can't stand. But the other thing that happens is like, if you can't stand, if you can't do a tandu, I'm okay to do petit allegro. How is that possible? Right. I'm okay now. I'm okay now. Absolutely not. If you stopped at Grand Mons a bar because it's the last thing you could do, you're done. Mm-hmm. You're not doing variations. You're not doing point because I'm not building you up to do that. Mm-hmm. So that is very, very, I think it educate teachers and educate dancers of the evolution that needs to happen like you can't dance if you didn't warm up properly mm-hmm. like I am not I do not allow like choreographers or myself to come into the studio and choreograph things on the dancers without having a proper class or a proper warm-up mm-hmm. and I know people walk in the studio sometimes and they just start you know if there's an emergency of course things happen and you you're trained for it and you, your body's gonna it's, but as a, as a trend as something that we allow no, that's just not, I think training is, it's the most important part. It's what's going to keep you going. It's where you're building your foundation and that foundation is what, what you're going to show a choreographer or a director or anything like that is what's going to bring you to the next level. Um, so I think it's important of communicating with teachers and dancers, how to, how to, how to build from the bottom up that you can't just go, up here and 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 do crazy stuff without building all the other stuff and inju- mm-hmm. injuries i mean like what's what's an injury of course if you twisted your ankle and you broke your foot but a lot of confusion with stress fractures a lot of that um that's a new that's a new thing um new it hasn't been new it's like eight ten years that you know i didn't grow i didn't know anything about stress fractures when i was training i I probably had them and, you know, but um, there's a lot of, there has to be communication between the physical therapist, the doctor and the dancer and the, and the parent. And we all have to be on the same page, which is making the dancer better. Mm -hmm. But it gets like, if we slow down and then this doctor slows down and the physical therapist, everybody just gets kind of like, so when are we going to start moving? What, what's going to, what's going to happen? And then, you know, they, they need to be healthy. They need to mm-hmm. be healthy mentally and physically also. That's very important uh, to us. And, and I think that that would be a good conversation between 
doctors, physical therapists, and teachers and dancers. I, I agree. And I love that you brought up stress fractures in particular, because I think so many people think of, in fact, um, a, lot, a lot of even my, my colleagues, for sure, uh, physicians think of bones as being more static, but we're constantly building more bone and losing bone. So if that balance is, is off, then that's how something like a stress fracture can develop. So I'm really glad that you brought that yep. up specifically. So. And you've had a lot of experience in the ballet competition world, and you successfully competed yourself. You've been a judge and a guest teacher for many of the major competitions, and um, as well as you've uh, successfully coached several young dancers on multiple wins. You've also been named the YAGP Finals Outstanding Teacher just this past year. And in the competition world, extreme ranges of motion are often celebrated and encouraged for the wow factor, as you had had mentioned earlier. How do you help your students work to their full potential while making sure that they have the strength to do so safely? Focus on strength. And I, I must say that there are certain competitions that do not, you know, I, I, I see it in the judges' scores and the judges' writings. And I would say mm -hmm. that 95% of the time, they, they say focus on your technique, focus mm -hmm. on, you know, Ex too extreme or something like that you know um i feel that you know there there are people out there that are interested in seeing more of your technique and your artistry and um all of that so you know i like we were saying if you go with the trend you know, it, it also depends who your teacher is, what school you're going and what they are, they are about. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like there are certain competitions, like I said, that are not into that and that are looking at your longevity, are looking at your career. If you're going to get into a ballet company, that's, you know, that's going to be used 1%, 2%. If you're going to be passing through an extension to go to the next thing and all of that. It's just... It's not going to be, it's not going to be about that. So I hope that it continues to decrease the, the interest in that and that, you know, as professionals and educators and, and judges and responsible competitions, we can, we can, you know, guide the dancers and the teachers in the, in the correct way. Excellent. And what words of advice do you, would you give to the frustrated, younger, hypermobile dancers who feel like they just cannot quite get it together? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I hear you. I hear you. I think, I think if you can hang in there, I think if you can focus on your strength, I think if you can focus on your technique, um, your conditioning, finding those muscles that work for you, you are not going to be, you know, your body does not, does not work the same way as somebody, somebody else's that you see mm -hmm. has a different mus muscle, you know, muscle form and, and, and less flexibility. Um, I think it will be worth it. It will be worth the time. It will be worth once you get that strength and you get control of your body, it's just going to be so beautiful that, you know, you're going to actually pass those people that, that are ahead of you right now because their bodies are, you know, 
easier to deal with, than, with in the beginning. But mm -hmm. once you get that strength, once you get that control of your body and you know where you are, I think, I think it's worth the, it's worth mm -hmm. the, the wait. Sure. And, and Beck Ann had uh, really went into a, a fair bit of detail about working with you and how you really helped her to understand how to work with her hypermobility and not to just rely on it as, you know, and um, just use it and lean into it. And, you know, but that you really worked with her on learning how to rein that in and, and control it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, bring your legs down, control everything from <laughs> your core. <laughs> yeah, repetition, 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 go through your feet in the middle of your foot slowly, down slowly. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, it might yes. be boring, but it's going to pay off. It's yes. going to pay off. There are also different types of hyperextension. Mm -hmm. Of course, you have Bacan, and I had the same thing. It, it's a lot easier when you're hyperextended and you have hypermobile foot as well. Right. Because mm -hmm. It's helpful because you can't think of the back of your knee. You have to think of where your hip aligns with your toe, right? Mm -hmm. And your, right. how you connect your inner thighs to all of that. You can't think from the back of the knee ever. So mm -hmm. it is very helpful when you have a foot that will allow you to be on top of that. Mm -hmm. you know? So when, when we have hyperextended dancers that are back and don't have that range of motion in the ankle, it's a little bit harder because they sit back in the knee a lot, a lot easier. Mm -hmm. instead of going going on top mm -hmm. core work inner thigh work bring your legs down <laughs> bring your legs down and move everything from your core and your inner thighs mm -hmm. don't, preach don't, it yeah <laughs> i think i think we need a shirt for you that says bring, bring your, your legs, legs bring down. your legs down <laughs> i don't care Big yeah. slow it down i know you can do it bring your legs down slowly <laughs> you know so. yeah. Yeah. It was fun. It is fun. I mean, when once you see them get it, like mm -hmm. when they first realize or they do that one thing and it's just above everybody else and, and right. their lights light up and you're like, okay, so see, that's what we've been working on for a whole year. Right. Mm -hmm. right. You know, so. Totally worth it. Yeah. Because that floppy noodle isn't, like you said, you could strike poses for Instagram photos, but you're not going to be able to move your body in the way that mm -hmm. you really need to and be able to protect your joints and keep them healthy and that yeah. kind of thing. I'm, I'm recalling as we're talking, a dancer who I um, was, went to college with and to class with every single day, and she was so floppy. And we were, most of us, jealous of her incredible hypermobility. And of course, at that time, I had no idea. I didn't know what hypermobility was. <laughs> but I look back now and I realize that, you know, she probably didn't ever have someone like you to really work with her on that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it's important um, yeah. to find the right teacher. Also. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and educate yourself, too. I mean, mm -hmm. I think if you talk to, I mean, when I was growing up, it was Sylvie Guillem. You know, and, mm -hmm. and of course, it wasn't YouTube or anything like that. So any VHS tape that I would get, you know, <laughs> they, and and you you could see, you know, where her body is. And of course, there was hyper everything and mm -hmm. craziness and all of that. But she had to have so much control in order to keep your her balance on top of her foot, so that she wouldn't be, you know, um, away. And that I think that was the first extreme dancer. She was kind of mm -hmm. like. You know, sure. uh, there was a lot of strength. She had to have a lot of strength in, 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 in to, to control her hypermobility. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And if you could go back in time, what, if anything, would you do differently? I would have started with conditioning and alignment work earlier um, because I became strong from repetition and from um, very, from strong technique, you know, but it wasn't until I found cross training and Pilates and alignment later in my career that I realized you can work smarter. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, you don't have to do so much. You, you can do enough correctly and it will work, you know, um, working on my stamina earlier also, um, because I was long and hypermobile. I, my stamina was not where it needed to be early Mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. And I, I was kind of jealous of other dancers that were shorter and more muscular and more compact because they could do it right away and they could run through something like that. And I needed to like really do the variation three times at the time, the way you worked on your stamina was doing your variation three times. There's so many other ways that you can actually save your body, you know, from doing that. I mean, Mm -hmm. of course it's great to run your variation three times. And sometimes that's what you need to do. Um, But I would have, I would have had a mix if I had a mix growing up earlier on, um, I would have, I would have liked that. Sure. And you've hit so many fantastic um, points. I feel like I need to go back. Well, uh, when we go back through, I'm definitely going <laughs> to extract some great quotes from this, from this conversation. Was there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to, to mention? You guys were <laughs> right on. <laughs> um, I think um, what we started to talk about how to really, that there are different, first that there's different types of hyperextension and Mm hypermobility. I think hyperextension, we're talking mostly about hyperextension in your legs and the sitting back on your, sitting back on your, on your, on your legs and your hyperextension. Um, I have, something that I do that I, you know, they stretch their knees and their heels are apart. I have mm-hmm. them bring their heels together mm-hmm. actually in plie. Mm-hmm. And then from there, push the floor and stretch their knees as much as they can, making room in the hip and the inner thigh to stretch mm-hmm. their knees. Mm-hmm. Because I find that if they sit back, of course, they're always going to, you know, they're going to go on point and they're going to have that line and whatever. Right. But you're not strengthening the right muscles for your leg to be, as straight as it can be without sitting back. Mm-hmm. So I think teachers need to be aware. Once you see a kid like that, um, just educate yourselves. Mm-hmm. Educate yourself and, you know, see other dancers that have done, gone through it, see other teachers that have done it, um, and listen to, to, to people like you and podcasts like this and, um, and see how other people are doing it. You know, um, I think, I think it's important, you know. And lower your leg. Lower your leg. <laughs> lower your leg. I don't care. I don't care. Build your strength, lower your leg. If anybody gets anything out of our conversation today, build your strength, lower your leg. Build your strength, lower your leg, and bring your heels together in first. Thank you. Let your knees from the inside of, mm-hmm. to your, all the way to your core, not from the back. Mm-hmm. And, and I think... It makes them feel, there are teachers that have asked me this. It's like, Marilena, their knees are bent. I said, their knees are, 
because you feel like you're halfway, you shouldn't be halfway. You should be straight. You just right. have to put the room in the hip and in the rotation mm-hmm. for that need to stretch. Mm-hmm. You know, um, of course, your knee in fifth position sometimes is going to bend a little bit mm-hmm. when you close it, mm-hmm. but you have to actually work towards not doing that. Right. Instead of, you know, and it, it all comes from the hips and, and your core too, mm-hmm. on how you pull up by pressing down. I absolutely agree. And I tell my dancers all the time, there's a difference between what your standing leg will look like and what your gesture leg will look like. And your gesture leg can be as wonked out and hyperextended and beautiful as you want it to be. But your standing leg, you can't just lock back into it and just hang there and think you're going to be fine. There's such a difference between a standing leg and a gesture leg. Thank you for that. And, and, And for those pearls here that we're adding at, at the end that rolling through the foot, you know, in the tondu mm-hmm. or, or whatever, that's something that I feel like I'll watch things sometimes. And I think, oh my gosh, what, is there something wrong with their metatarsals that they, that they never <laughs> go through the demi point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, what, what's happening here? I, I think that's the part that I learned later in life. They, mm-hmm. Once I talked, we talked about alignment and cross training and, and doing all those things. Um, because I became very strong, but it, it, I didn't have all of that in the beginning. And then it was such a difference once I started, you know, once I came to SAB and I started working through my feet a little bit more and doing, you know, doing Pilates and gyrotonics and seeing other dancers, that contact with the floor, that mm-hmm. strength you create mm-hmm. by being into the floor, it's, it's absolutely makes an absolute difference. Absolutely. Definitely. And where can people best find you and learn more about the fantastic work that you're doing? Um, well, my Instagram, it's um, Marielena Ruiz official. Um, I have a website, um, marielenaruiz.com. And in our school, uh, Carrie Ballet, it's the Instagram and then carryballet.com. It's our website. And uh, you can find me there. Fabulous. We'll have links to our, uh, on the show notes also to all those places. So fabulous. Well, it has been such a pleasure talking with you today. I learned so much. This has been so fantastic. And everyone, and you've been listening to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD today. Our guest has been Mary Elena Ruiz, excuse me, award-winning ballet master, teacher, and director of the professional training program at Cary Conservatory. And Mary Elena, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on the Bendy Bodies podcast with us today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. I learned so much and I'm, I'm grateful to um, have talked to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, where we explore the intersection of health and hypermobility for dancers and other artistic athletes. Please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Remember to subscribe so you won't miss future episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the Bendy Bodies YouTube channel as well. Thank you for helping us spread the word about hypermobility and associated conditions. Visit our website, www.bendybodies.org, for more information. For a limited time, you could win an autographed copy of the popular textbook, Disjointed, Navigating the Diagnosis and Management of Hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and Hypermobility Spectrum Disorders, just by sharing what you love about the Bendy Bodies podcast. On Instagram, tag us at bendy underscore bodies and on Facebook at Bendy Bodies Podcast. 
The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the co-hosts and their guests. They do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. The thoughts and opinions do not constitute medical advice and should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. This podcast is intended for general education only and does not constitute medical advice. Your own individual situation may vary. Do not make any changes without first seeking your own individual care from your physician. We'll catch you next time on the Bendy Bodies Podcast.